Hello, everyone. It's a joy for me to be here with you today. Let me ask you a question: Can churches really experience community during COVID-19? I think it is a valid question to ask, especially as we enter the eighth month since the WHO declared COVID-19 a pandemic in March. Churches are longing for meaningful community nowadays, especially as we seek to really experience it with great joy. And yet, it continues to be a baffling challenge. The Lifeway research conducted an online survey among 443 American Protestant pastors in July this year. The intent of the survey is to discover the pastors' views on how COVID is affecting their church. After analyzing the results, here is the top or the list of the top pressure points mentioned by the pastors. What I find intriguing in this list is the number of pressure points related to the lack of meaningful community. The community-related factors are as follows: first, maintaining unity, conflicts, complaints; second, pastoral care from a distance; third, personally exhausted, stressed, isolated. And staying connected. Now, if we combine all the percentages of pastors who say that these are their top church pressure points, then the total would be 65 percent. This is almost two thirds of what churches are saying that they need and want the most, which is community. I haven't seen a recent study on how Canadian churches are being affected by COVID-19, but it is probably a growing hunger for meaningful community as well. Now, this hunger for community may not only be true among our churches, but also among our students, our staff, and faculty at Tyndale. Let me quote a few responses from the pastors that show intense longing for community. Here's the response under the category of maintaining unity. Quote: My people are in very different places regarding the virus. Some are losing patience and want to get on with normal life with little regard for potential consequences. Others are still practicing extreme social distancing and are having a tough time understanding others who are not taking this seriously. As they are, end of quote. Here's another one under the same category of maintaining unity. I am aware that people are growing weary of the entire pandemic. Some are scared to death, while others are convinced it is a hoax. Trying to minister to both ends of the spectrum is exhausting. End of quote. Here's another response under the category of personally exhausted and isolated. Quote: Feeling disconnected from the people and their needs. I need encouragement. Heron and her to hold up my hands. People to come alongside me. But I am tired of everything. 
virtual. P.S. Maybe I just need a hug. End of quote. Here's another response under the staying connected category. Quote, nurturing a sense of community, common identity, and shared purpose digitally, particularly when folks are burning out on digital togetherness. I find that last comment very intriguing. Folks are burning out on digital togetherness. Now, given these responses from pastors and churches, and even considering the impact of the results in the presidential election today south of the border, which can affect the churches as well as the whole nation and beyond, we can again ask our original question, can we really experience a meaningful community as a church and even as Tyndale in these difficult days? I think the answer to this question is, yes, we can. In light of the refreshing perspective that Psalm 133 brings on the delight of unity as God's people gather in community. When we see the benefits of unity, we can grow in community. With unity comes greater community. Psalm 133 basically extols the beauty of unity that exists among the people of God. Psalm 133 is a brief pilgrim psalm, which is part of the cluster of songs in Psalms 120 and until 134, commonly called the Songs of Ascents. These psalms refer to songs that are sang on the way up to Jerusalem for one of the major festivals of Israel. The focus of these psalms is not so much the journey, but its destination, which is Jerusalem. Pilgrims from all over the country would converge in this holy city to celebrate a festival in worship. Psalm 133 begins with a clear declaration of how wonderful it is for believers to dwell together in unity. Verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now this thought is appropriate in light of the people's pilgrimage when families would come from different locations to worship the Lord together. Their coming together reminds them that unity is good, that unity is pleasant. Note that this pilgrimage is not an individualistic act of piety, but expresses solidarity with the larger body of God's people. It represents the unity of the covenant community bound by their common faith in God. Now, to appreciate the beauty of unity, the psalmist uses two similes or pictures, one in verse 2 and the other in verse 3. Verse 2 employs the picture of precious oil this way. Verse 2 says, It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Now this precious oil mentioned here is no ordinary olive oil, but the special oil used in consecrating Aaron as high priest. 
This verse rehearses the anointing of Aaron in Leviticus chapter 8 in the presence of all Israel, which we find the rich imagery of oil pouring on Aaron's head, flowing down on his beard and shoulders and onto the breastplate with the names of all the 12 tribes of Israel. Oil symbolized unity of the nation in worship under their consecrated priests. As oil consecrated Aaron, so the unity of the worshipers in Jerusalem would consecrate the nation under God. Now, an implication of this consecration of Aaron and his sons as priests is that their consecration separates them completely for the service of God. We see this in Exodus chapter 29. Similarly, unity sets apart God's people to serve him and to witness to those outside the community. Now, in relation to us today, when we experience unity and community, we as God's people are empowered to serve and to witness together to those outside our church and our academic community. Now, aside from the picture of anointing oil, the second imagery is dew that covers the mountains as found in verse 3. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, picking up the picture of oil running down Aaron's beard and shoulder, the simile suggests dew coming down from Mount Hermon in the north onto Mount Zion in the south. Dew of Hermon was heavy and dense because of the moisture in the air. Now, in contrast, the air around Jerusalem is too dry to produce dew. So the imagery of dew from Hermon falling on Mount Zion symbolizes what is refreshing, what is invigorating. This refreshing influence of the worshiping community on the nation was similar to the dew on vegetation. It was a fitting symbol of the Lord's blessing on his people. Dew represents life because it provided moisture for the crops in a region where it was typically not raining for much of the year, resulting in enriching life and renewing life in fullness. Unity surely brings blessing and life for the family of God. As the psalmist exclaims, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, even in the New Testament, we see the value of unity. In the high priestly prayer of Jesus, he prayed for unity for all believers. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23, spell out the desire of Jesus for his people to be one. This is the prayer of Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now Jesus includes in this prayer for unity his revelation of his love. And it also can picture our love in community and for the world in this pandemic days. In addition, Paul appeals to believers in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, which says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For Paul, we see his affirmation that we already are united in the Spirit. We just need to keep such unity. He shows that this reality of unity is found in verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In three short verses, Paul emphasizes the reality of our unity by mentioning the word one seven times and the word all four times. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul asked the Philippian believers to make his joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul instructed the believers how to be united in the context of having some people in Philippi who were showing signs of division and disunity. In one of the churches where I minister with other bivocational pastors, we experienced an unexpected opportunity of unity and community. On September 18th, we received news, as you can see on the screen, of a woman who was struck by a pickup truck in Vaughan, where our church is located. Police reported that she suffered from life-threatening injuries. Later that day, we discovered that she used to go to our community events at Green Hills Christian Fellowship in New York. Her sister in the U.S. wanted to connect her injured sister to us through Facebook and reached out to one of our church members. Our ladies immediately worked out a plan to ensure that food was brought to the injured woman's apartment so that her husband and son who recently came from the Philippines, would have food for every meal. We tried to visit in hospital, but we were not allowed to do so. So the church members requested the whole church to pray for her and included her prayer item in our joint prayer meetings with other Green Hills churches. The church got in touch with the husband and the son and her sister in the U.S. and prayed with them regularly. Miraculously, the woman overcame the life-threatening injuries and is now able to sit, stand, and walk a few steps. She and her sister and other family members have now attended our online Sunday worship expressions for the past two weeks. The son of the sister in the U.S. and the son of the injured woman now attend the youth online gathering in one of our Green Hills churches. Now, as I reflect on this experience, we were able to work together in unity, not through individual efforts, but as a part of a larger church body. 
In our collective little ways, we were able to serve and witness about God's love together to people whom we do not know much. And it felt good being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and of one mind in helping a family in need. For us, through this experience, we are also able to say how good and pleasant it is when God's people live serve, and witness together in unity. I think God can turn the difficulties of an injured woman and the difficulties of our injured churches during the pandemic into opportunities of refreshing and flourishing expressions of unity and community. In 1969, Victor Turner wrote the book, The Ritual Process, Structure and Anti-Structure. In this book, he talks about the anthropological concept of communitas, which Turner describes as the condition that ritual participants in liminality or in the transition phase of life go through as they bond with each other in a tightly knit community. I wonder if God allowed this injured woman to go through her suffering and difficulty in order for her to experience communitas with her family who are in transition and to also experience communitas with a new church family that understands what it is to suffer and to have difficulties in transitioning to life in Canada. I also wonder if God is allowing suffering and difficulty to our injured churches during the pandemic, not only to make us mature more or to learn how to lament better, but to also teach us communitas in this awkward space of liminality and uncomfortable place of transition. How can our pastors and our church leaders our different congregations, and our Tyndale academic home experience communitas in this new season of liminality and transition, of going beyond our comfortable ways and reinventing neighborliness in a digitally technological context. To answer our original question, Can we really experience community during COVID-19? A resounding answer is yes. Not just community, but also communitas. Not just during COVID-19, but also post-pandemic. Would you join me in prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we affirm as your word affirms, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Thank you that the unity you give is refreshing and life-giving. As your people here at Tyndale, we pray that we will not only learn community in our unity, but also communitas in this awkward liminality an uncomfortable transition, even during this fall semester. Thank you for Jesus.
who offered for us what it means to suffer, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And now, may the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.